Hi everyone, Ty Gonzalez with SotoMojo.com. I'm here with a very special guest today. Uh, it's Larry Stone, a columnist from the uh, Seattle Times. Larry, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ty. Glad to be with you. So I got to ask you, you know, before we get into everything, since you were uh, you were covering the Seahawk game, uh, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It just kind of kind of went up in uh, smoke with uh, and a lot of uh, penalties. To, I mean, it was unbelievable. They just kept uh, undoing all the good things they did with penalties, and, and in the end, that just kind of uh, thanked them, I think. Yeah, and then, you know, you you play into the – or you take the, the field into <laughs> into account and everything. It was just an icky game. and uh, Yeah, it was, it was miserable circumstances. It was prime, probably prime for a little bit of a letdown, although you wouldn't think they'd be a letdown when you have the – uh, a playoff spot on the line. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, you are a member of the Baseball Writers of America, uh, and uh, I wanted to ask you about um, your ballot uh, for the uh, for this year's Hall of Fame. Of course, you have Egger. You've been a big proponent of, of Eggers. And uh, just tell me more about your process going into the ballot, and um, where do you see... Uh, Edgar's chances this year, you know, it's his last year, uh, really to, to get in. And, um, you know, where do you think that this is, uh, this is actually going to happen this year? Well, I do to answer the last part first. Um, I feel good about his chances. I don't feel great. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a little nervous. Uh, you know, I follow very closely the, the, it's a hall of fame tracker, uh, not Mr. Tibbs. Uh, I'm sure you do as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just—it's been a godsend for for this sort of thing because before before he started gathering everything, you just sort of had to guess at how everyone's doing and how everyone was voting. But he uh, compiles all the votes and um, on a on a, um, a spreadsheet and, and has a website and it's very and it's gotten to the point where writers just send their ballots to him almost before they send it into the baseball writers. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it started off great for Edgar. Uh, he was at 100% for the first couple of weeks, and then and then suddenly uh, the last week or so has not been so good for him. Uh, he's, he's down to 90% now. Uh, he'd lost, he, he had gained nine, uh, and, but, but one person, David Lennon from, from Newsday, took away his the vote that he had for Edgar last year and didn't vote for him this year. So he's at a net plus eight. He's got to get to around 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, the people who, who don't make their ballots public tend to be the more old, you know, the older guys and women who aren't on social media, don't use the internet and they tend to be more conservative, probably hold the DH against Edgar. So right. he's got to be above the 75%. I mean, you, or 90 with the known votes I'll feel pretty good about it if he's right at about 75 to 80 it'll be nervous time so yeah um, but but I, I do feel he's going to get in uh, um, and you know it is his last chance until if he doesn't get in you know he still has a backdoor route to get in as Harold Baines did and Lee Smith through the Veterans Committee right but you know you don't want you don't want to go that yeah, you don't want to have that. Happen. You want to get voted in and get in, get voted in now. Mm-hmm. Um, I voted for my ballot was uh, uh, Bond. You know, I, I, my my policy is to if I voted for somebody once, 
for the most part, I, I keep voting for him because if I thought they were a Hall of Famer last year, that nothing has changed this year. Right. The only time that changes if is if the ba- you know you're only allowed to vote for ten, and if the ballot's too crowded because there's too many new good candidates, then then somebody has got to come off. But this year, that because four four players came off the ballot last year, they got into the Hall of Fame, or they voted, or they. Uh, You you have uh, Halliday, uh, yeah, great choice. The, the, the new the new guys were on the ballot. Where Mariano was an automatic, and Halliday, yeah. which which was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And then um, that left uh, two spots open, and uh, I, I voted for McGriff and, and Helton. Helton being a new guy, another new one on the ballot, mm-hmm. and McGriff being a guy I've always wanted to vote for, but kind of has always. Uh, He's always been like the eleventh, the twelfth guy. Right. So um, the other one was Schilling. I don't know if I said Schilling. Yeah, and then uh, you missed uh, Larry Walker. Larry Walker too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's another one that I voted for last year and voted for again this year. Um, yeah. The ones I considered pretty strongly were uh, Roland, Omar, Descal, and Billy Wagner. Those were probably my. Uh, those were in my final uh, consideration and. You know, Omar is a guy I think I'm going to eventually vote for. I know that the, the analytical world is not too high on him, but mm-hmm. uh, but I like Omar, and I do think he's uh, he's worthy of Hall, Hall of Fame consideration. Right. You, you're so you're not going to vote for Mariner legend Jason Bay, right? <laughs> I really like Jason. I like dealing with him. He's a very good player, but uh, no, not quite a Hall of Famer. Funny to look at the ballot. Funny to look at the ballot and see guys like that. Yeah, like seeing uh, Kevin Euclid on the ballot is <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You got well. You got to have it. Not everybody who makes ten years gets on the ballot. You got. You've got. First of all, you have to be a ten-year major leaguer, and mm-hmm. then there's a screening committee that that gets uh, the the unworthy ones out so there's a lot of people that you know you're not going to get that, that aren't going to get votes but i think it's an honor just to be on the ballot you know jay buner uh, with the year he was on he was a one and done right but he said he said that just being on the ballot was like one of the greatest things of his life so, right yeah uh, so. yeah just to have the recognition is pretty incredible um yeah so uh, the winter meetings were this week, and, and I, I know that you uh, you didn't attend them uh, this year, but um, I wanted to ask you, because on Twitter you mentioned the, the 92 winter meetings and how you covered those, and they were pretty wild. And I wanted to ask you if you had a, a specific story about those meetings or anything that really jumped out to you about that. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. I was covering the Giants uh, for the San Francisco paper, and that was the year that they signed uh, Barry Bonds which was kind of out of the blue. Uh, they had a new ownership, and um, they were trying to make a splash, and um, so that threw my winter meetings. <laughs> it was long before the age of the Internet where you, you know, there was speculation all day and everything. It was, it was a, a time where you picked up the newspaper in the morning, and that's when you found out that that's when I found out the, the Don Heyman of Newsday had a story saying the Mariners were going to sign bonds. So I... You know, went into panic mode. 
but they, they they did sign bonds and they had a press conference. This is the part that uh, that I'll never forget. Uh, you know, it's the biggest news, of course, of the of the day, and this meeting, this uh, conference room was just jammed with reporters and. Bonds was up on the podium, and Willie Mays was next to him, his godfather, and all the Giants executives and his agent, uh, Dennis Gilbert. And then someone came up and whispered in, in their ear, and the entire procession just stood up and left back through the uh, the back exit, and that was the end of the press conference, because it, the, the, the sale to the Peter McGowan group from Bob Lurie, the old owner, had not been approved yet, and Lurie... Uh, the, the old owner said, I'm not going to, you know, in case this falls through, I, I'm not going to pay for Barry Bonds' $40 million. And so he wouldn't sign off on it. So the deal was on hold uh, until until they could get approval uh, of Lurie, uh, or of the sale from Lurie to McGowan. And, mm-hmm. uh, so that was the only press conference I've ever been to where the press conference <laughs> ended before it started and everybody just <laughs> walked off the podium. But they worked it out the next day. They they, they signed some sort of side contract saying that if, if the sale went through, they would they would still be responsible for, for paying him. And, and then Lurie signed off, and they had the press conference the next day. But that's what I that's what I'll always remember is, is Barry Bonds and, and the rest of the Willie Mays and everyone else just getting up and leaving the stage. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so let's get into the, some Mariners talk uh, real quick. Um, so there's the whole thing about uh, naming the stadium uh, and what's going on with that. Uh, do you have any sort of update or timeline as to when we will uh, find out about uh, the the actual name of the stadium? I know it's rumored to be something with T-Mobile, um, but uh, when do you think we'll get a confirmation on that? I'm pretty sure it will happen uh, this week, uh, and we're recording this on, on Tuesday, and I think by midweek... Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be an official announcement. Uh, I have no insider knowledge. You're right, yeah. I mean, it's uh, probably T-Mobile Park is what I'd guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, doesn't quite have the <laughs> have a, a real lyrical ring to it, but yeah. uh, uh, no pun intended, ring. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I mean, that's what we've come to expect now from stadiums, you know, Uh there's going to be a sponsorship name in it, and it's not, it's going to sound clunky. But uh, there's too much money involved for uh, to keep it. You know, the the Wrigley Field, which is which actually is a corporate name in itself, the mm-hmm. chewing gum company. But the Dodger Stadiums and the Yankee Stadiums, uh, those are those are dinosaurs now. You know, the, yeah. there's too much money to be made. Uh, so that's just the way it's going to be. And as a, a fan and a consumer, you just have to grit your teeth and, and deal with it. Yeah, and then in that uh, newly named stadium, uh, there's going to be a lot of new faces this year, right? Uh, I mean, there's been, what, seven trades now from Jerry DePoto this offseason? Um, you know... Yeah, I mean, the guy is uh, on, an, on an even larger level than he's ever been, which is insane to say uh considering what he's he's done in his tenure with the mariners uh i mean i you know i gotta ask i mean he's nowhere near being done right i wouldn't think so i mean i I, yeah you know i think mike leak probably will uh 
they'll try hard to trade him. Uh, they'll try hard to trade uh, Edwin Encarnacion, mm-hmm. their newest acquisition, having gotten Carlos Santana and then flipped Santana for Encarnacion. Um, you know, I think if they could find a seller for a buyer for Jay Bruce, they would do that. Uh, Kyle Seeger, uh, you know, uh, the, the big question for me is Mitch Haniger. Right. To me, to me as, as long as you've gone this far, you might as well uh, go all the way. And Haniger, if you could get two primo prospects for Haniger, then you've really got a, you know, your farm system then would be one of the best. Uh, you know, Ryan Divish did a story where he talked to Baseball America and other prospect experts, and they had him like in the middle twenty, mm-hmm. you know, ten to twenty, but more towards twenty, mm-hmm. uh, up from thirty probably. Right. So you know, you make one more trade, and maybe you get into the top ten, and then you. The problem is, I think uh, you want to have somebody that you can promote next year for the fans, and uh, you know, Haniger is a, is a known name and, and mm-hmm. popular guy. Uh, you trade him, and you know, you almost have nothing, nothing left to to, uh, to promote or for fans to get behind, except for some of the new guys. And you're not really going to see the new guys yet this year, so it's it's going to be a it's going to be an awkward season for the Mariners. They're not going to win. Uh, you're not going to see too many. You know, you'll see a sprinkling of the new players as the year goes along. But, but you know, as it looks now, it's just a bunch of uh, uh, veterans that are past their prime, and uh, um, you know, a, a few good young players. But mm-hmm. um, the, the real fruition won't come until till next year or beyond. Right, and. You know, and that's kind of where our stance is with, with the Hanniger situation. We, you know, uh, uh, some of our content has to do with, you know, making trade proposals and everything. So we look at other team systems and what, you know, their plan is specifically for this year. And, uh, you know, really the one team that jumps out to us is the Braves. But, you know, for, for Hanniger and it's, you know, you look at these teams and you look at someone like the Braves and they have this excess of talent, but... You know, are they actually willing to give you what you want, even if they do have that excess? And that's, you know, Mitch Haniger finished tenth uh, or eleventh last year in uh, MVP voting. Um, you know, and he still has four years of control. You know, we were thinking maybe they could uh, extend him early. And, you know, take you know take a couple years. And uh, you know, it, it's hard with Haniger because you you can envision building around him, but you can also envision getting a really nice package for him and um yeah it's you know it's a very confusing uh situation really uh and a very delicate one to to handle yeah and there i i think the, the mariners are kind of in a position of strength here because they don't have to trade him they could wait right. you know they could say oh, these are the prospects we want and if we don't get them you know we're, we're happy to keep them right uh it's not like you know the Marlins with Rio Muto when they're pretty desperate to get rid of him, right? And you know they're asking for the moon, but uh, so far no no teams are willing to give it to him. Uh, you know I think that they don't really want to they want to trade him while while he's uh, at peak value. Um, I think the Mariners would be happy to keep uh, Haniger and like you said build around him maybe extend him long term. I mean the problem not the problem but reality is that he's uh, a 
he was a little older when he broke out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it, they, the Mariners think they're going to be good in two years, I think it's going to be more like a three or four year process if everything goes well. And by that time, he's in his early 30s and nearing free agency if you haven't extended him. So, you know, the, 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 the tricky part of these rebuilds is getting everybody to mesh at the same time. Uh, you don't, and that's not easy to do. So, if you can, if you could get the Braves to give you two of their really good prospects and a couple others, and for another team, uh, I thought uh, Depoto's wording was very uh, instructive. He he said something like, "We haven't been blown away yet," or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no offers yet have blown us away, which to me kind of left the door open to maybe we, if there's a possibility, we could be blown away. So. Um, you know, these things can be slow developing too. Like uh, uh, last year, the Christian Yelich trade was made in, uh, I think, two weeks before spring training. So right. teams get desperate, teams move off their uh, their offers and, and sweeten them the closer you get to spring training. So I think a slow play, you know, Jerry's, Jerry's notorious for his fast plays, but yeah. I think a slow play on, on, on this, this one is the way to go. Yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, there's that one deal that they made that kind of left a lot of fans scratching their heads and led us to block a few people on Twitter <laughs> uh, was the uh, Gene Segura uh, trade um, that, you know, a lot of people weren't very happy with the return that they got. But, you know, for those more in the know, it felt like the writing was on the wall with 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 Gene and that he was going to be dealt uh, the soft season even you know perhaps even if they did choose to to contend because you know there there were problems there towards the end of the year and and I wanted to ask you as someone that's been around there uh you know what really happened with Gene because from the outside looking in Gene seems like a pretty pretty solid guy but then you hear these stories about the fight um you know not wanting to hustle not really you know and and even before coming to Seattle there were you know some talk about him being not that great of a clubhouse guy yeah well he's been traded four times now i mean uh some of those are circumstance but yeah you just have to you have to wonder uh you know early in his career the angels traded him to Milwaukee i believe that was also Jerry Depoto mm-hmm. um and uh, that that was just a young person thrown into a trade, I think, a young player. But then, you know, he had success with Milwaukee, but they traded into Arizona, and he had success with Arizona, and they traded into the Mariners, and he had success with the Mariners, and they traded into the Phillies. So you do have to wonder. I think, uh, I mean, the Mariners thought enough of him to not only give him a long-term extension, but to give him a no-trade clause. So, I mean, it's not like he's been an absolute troublemaker of, I mean, everything you heard about him was positive uh, up until the sort of the second half of the season, right? Um, uh, and but I do think your your basic premise is right that there were issues, and I do think that there was some uh, desire to to sort of cleanse that situation. He got in the fight with D. Gordon. You know, I've heard differing stories of what exactly happened and who was at fault, but he was right in the middle of that. Um, and uh, as for the return, you know, uh, I think a lot of that was a, they were happy to, to shed the salary, although they right. have to take Santana's salary back. But, um, you know, J.P. Crawford is a high upside guy with a, who was a great prospect but really 
probably hasn't done it yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I mean, they could end up if he's a if he lives up to his potential, then that'll be a really good trade. But yeah, uh, there's a lot of risk there, and I can under I, you know I understand why people didn't like that trade. Segura was an All Star 300 hitter. Yeah, and you're getting you're getting back a question mark and a guy that you were you couldn't wait to to trade again and in Santana. You yeah. know, we'll see how that plays out down the road. If they turn Encarnacion into you know a, a prospect that helps them, then that will sweeten the trade a little bit more than likely. They're just trying to get rid of that that contract. So um, I think it was kind of an addition by subtraction trade. Yeah, I think you know when when looking at the um, when looking at the return, I think it's very indicative of of what I was talking about that they wanted Gene Segura out out of town. Um, it just you, know, you look at it and, and it just it, because you you hear the stories about that the Phillies were really the only team in on him that they weren't bidding against anyone for Segura that not a lot of teams view him as a shortstop and. Uh, you know, it's not really uh, Jerry Depoto's way to just get desperate and start trading players for what he can get, and I think that really just indicated what uh, or that Segura was a problem and that they needed to part ways. Yeah, I mean, the, the clubhouse kind of, you know, uh, Scott Service got a lot of credit um, for the clubhouse atmosphere that he fostered there in his you know, three seasons, but that seems to have kind of fallen apart a little bit in the second half of mm-hmm. last year. Losing does that. Uh, well, losing is, to me, <laughs> winning and losing creates happy clubhouses or bad clubhouses, not the other way around. I strongly believe that after covering baseball for 30 years. Right. Um, but uh, the, the vibe had definitely changed, and uh, I think some of those uh, moves reflect that um you know it, i think cano was more of a case of uh seeing an opportunity to, to that they they didn't anticipate to to get rid of the right part of his contract you know uh i think there that's a little bit underrated aspect of that trade yeah. is you know when he signed a 10-year deal everybody said well the for the final five years are going to be a disaster. You know, just look at Albert Pujols. Yeah. And they basically got out of the final five years of that contract. So, yep. you know, the, and this is the time when Cano, just by age, is going to start to decline. So uh, I, I think that that was more played in that than, than any clubhouse issues that, that might have existed. But they were not happy when he sort of, like, felt that he had second base was uh, due was was his right to go back to second base uh when i think they if they had kept him they had other ideas like maybe dh and first base you know mm-hmm. i think they want d gordon to play second base now so yeah that was a, uh, another factor yeah i mean with the you know with the cano situation you you look at it and it's um you know they cut it in half um, they cut that that contract completely in half. They're paying just a little bit under the sixty million for uh, over the next, um, or well, when you when you take in uh, when you take Bruce and Swarzak into account, uh, they're paying just a little bit under sixty million of you know Cano's remaining deal. 
And uh, that's incredible. And they get two pieces that can bounce back and potentially get them something either this offseason or at the deadline. Um, and I, I think that's a really solid deal. And, and the biggest part of that was, yes, Edwin Diaz was included, but they got such a good return for Diaz that it didn't felt like they had to include Diaz to just get rid of Cano, that they sacrifice value. Maybe they sacrificed uh, more of a lottery ticket prospect uh, on the back end of the deal, but getting Kelnick and getting done, that's a pretty, pretty nice swing uh, when you consider all the moving pieces on that deal. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that, with that trade. It would have been even better if they could have gotten a second baseman whose name escapes me but um, oh mcneil yeah mcneil yeah uh you know that uh, that there were rumors early in the day that mm-hmm. he was part of the trade and then when it came out it turned out to be uh, bautista instead mm-hmm. um but i mean let's be honest this trade will swing on whether jared uh, telenic is a it turns out to be a star or not right um you know, you you trade Edwin Diaz, you've got to get a you've got to get a star caliber player, not just caliber. I mean, he's got to become a star. And yeah, you know, the step from nineteen uh, year old prospect to uh, established major leaguers is a big big step. That that uh, uh, you know, not every uh, we've all seen uh, so many uh, celebrated uh, minor league can't miss prospects and they don't make it. So um, that's, uh, you know, Justin Dunn is an interesting guy, but it, Kellenic is the one that they're, right. they're uh, I think that this deal swings on and he's got all the talent in the world. So, uh, but it's going to be a few years. <laughs> yeah. He's right out of high school. Yeah. So um, it'll be hard to judge this trade for a while. Yeah. And now, you know, Kellenic does feel like one of those guys that could be, uh, you know, you're, you're, well, not necessarily Soto, but, you know, a guy that can come up at 21, 22, maybe a little bit earlier than most high schoolers come up as. Uh, but, you know, yeah, like you said, it's a process. And um, that's a, you know, that's the thing that, you know, is, is tough to swallow for a lot of fans because, you know, the Mariners, uh, so close to, to finally ending, ending the drought last year, then completely fell apart. Uh, in the you know in the middle months of the season and you know now the, suddenly you know you see the Mariners admit that they don't want to be a middle of the road team anymore and that's a tough pill to swallow for some people it makes sense but you know it's it it's still it's still hard yeah and uh, I'm I was frankly stunned that that's the route that they went because I you know, I went to the press conference a couple of days after the season where Jerry went up there and said, we're not going to do that. We're, mm. we're not going to uh, tear, tear this thing down to the studs. And he denies that they've done that, but that's basically what they've done when you've traded, uh, you know, we haven't even mentioned Zunino. Right. Um, you know, Diaz, uh, Segura, Cano, um, you know, you're a couple of all-stars, uh, your your best, Bill Paxton, your best pitcher. Yep, Colome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah you kept Hanniger, but uh, that's about it. Um, so uh, something changed. I, they, I guess they had these inten- intensive meetings with ownership and decided that this was the way to go. And, you know, there's two ways you you can go to get out of the middle. Is you could go hard, and, you know, try and get better and close the gap that way immediately, or you can do 
what so many teams have done, which is is uh, dismantle and and try and build up through your prospects and get and uh, and do it that way. Um, which is no guarantee. There's no guarantee either way. I think they looked at the Astros and the Yankees and the Red Sox and decided that going for it was not going to be successful right now. So the 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 other way to go is where is the way they went. Um, you know, I've talked to Jerry Depoto about this many times, and he's always resisted it because he says it takes a rebuild like this takes five or six years at the minimum. And now all of a sudden he's saying two years. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's. I think he was closer when he was talking about other teams, you know, four, three, four, five years, um, because not all these get prospects. They never all work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like the fact, from their standpoint, they didn't have star quality uh, in the minor leagues at all. And now suddenly you have Sheffield, you have uh, Kellenick, um, along with, a, you know, maybe maybe a couple of their own guys uh, can, can break out the uh, white and... Uh, um, center fielder uh, again. His name Ka- again. Kyle Lewis. Yeah, Kyle Lewis. Yeah. Uh, Braden Bishop. It wasn't, it wasn't too long ago that he was a, you know, he was a uh, top flight prospect until his knee injury, and maybe he can regain that. So, right. um, at least at least they at least they have prospects with real upside now, which they didn't have before. Right. Exactly. Well, I think uh, I think that's it for today. Uh, I'll let you go, and I, I really do appreciate your time. But before you go, uh, let our uh, listeners know where they can find you. Well, you can uh, find me at Stone Larry uh, at Stone Larry on Twitter, and on the pages of the Seattle Times, SeattleTimes dot com. And a little plug for uh, I'm working on a book with Edgar Martinez uh, that's going to be out in June. His life story, Edgar. It's called my my story, Edgar. So uh, I know there's. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners and readers are Edgar Martinez fans and <laughs> would love to uh, get their hands on his uh, autobiography. So uh, check that out. Cool. Sounds great. Looking forward to reading it. And uh, thank you for your time today. <laughs>